0: Hello, I'm Eddie French, and you might recognise me from such icy news noises as... Daddy! And who could forget... Well, the good news is is that I now have my own podcast. It's called Pick Scraped, and it is a fortnightly sketch show uh, made entirely by me. So if that sounds like the sort of thing you'd like, go to wherever you get your podcasts and listen to it. Thank you. Pick Scraped.
1: You're listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse.
2: As strike action threatens to bring the country to a standstill and temperatures in the UK plummet to as low as minus 6 degrees Celsius, with millions of families struggling to heat their homes, Rishi Sunak starts literally skating on thin ice during his walk to work. Following further revelations in the PPE MedPro scandal, Baroness Mone says she is taking a leave of absence from the House of Lords to clear her name. Good thing she's got a whole bunch of useless plastic aprons handy, really, because that name is currently filthy. Controversial cat-bomb-mouthed TV pundit Piers Morgan is hospitalised with a broken penis following the release of the Harry and Meghan documentary on Netflix. A Talk TV spokesman said that Morgan hoped to be back at work soon, where he can continue wanking himself into a frenzied stupor. And finally, Quasi Kwateng says he got carried away during his brief stint as Chancellor. Yes, by a magic dragon if his appearance at the Queen's funeral was anything to go by. Hello and welcome... I'm Sam Gore, and you're listening to another episode of IC News, the only cable news show that pulls in the stories from across the multiverse when I remember to include that particular MacGuffin when scripting it.
3: Spoiler alert, this week I didn't.
2: But in my defence, the insane Jack Russell I adopted from the Dogs Trust is currently in heat and furious about everything, and I haven't slept in three days. Have you ever tried to get period pants on an angry, horny dog? It's like trying to pin down and get a straight answer out of Nadine Dorries. And yes, I will be getting her neutered as soon as I can. So fucking calm down, Internet comment section. The dog, that is, not Nadine Dorries, no matter how convincing an argument she might make in favour of eugenics. It's been another week of British society functioning superbly here on Earth Prime. A strike fever continues to rage through the feverish body of the electorate, and Rishi Sunak's piss-weak government frantically tries to pretend it can handle the unions, despite constantly caving into its own backbenchers on everything from wind farms to housing targets. This week, the rail unions announced the very Christmas strikes they promised they wouldn't announce, after Mick Lynch accused the new Transport Secretary and Tomorrow Never Dies henchman Mark Harper of deliberately sabotaging the union's negotiations with the network operators by forcing new conditions on them. The government's deliberate antagonism is clearly designed to paint the unions as militant, when in fact it's becoming painfully apparent that more and more people are going to continue demanding that something be done about the 12 years of stagnating wages and deteriorating working conditions that we've seen under Tory rule. Of course, in every crisis, there are parasites looking to turn a profit. Here's looking at you, Baroness Moan. But also, here's looking at Danny Sutcliffe, who has his own ideas for helping the British public through this uniquely Tory winter of discontent.
3: Hello,
4: everyone. I'm Danny Sutcliffe, proud working-class Mancunian, visionary and high-powered business magnate. Now, I don't know what a business magnet is exactly, but I assume rich people call themselves that because they find it so easy to attract coins. And that's exactly what I want to do for all of you listening at home. I'm here today to help you through your cost of living crisis with an exclusive offer to join my growing business family. Do you want to be your own boss? Do you want to dictate your own hours while still earning bank? Have you got a battered old transit van and no regard for human life? Well, I've got the solution for you! As Britain heads into this festive season, it's starting to feel like the country might be on its knees. And not in the good sort of way that gets your ears wet if you do it right. Teachers and nurses are leaving their professions in droves. Trains have ground to a halt. Workers everywhere are striking. And every single one of the essential services we pay for through our taxes are creaking at the seams, with waiting lists that stretch out for years. Inflation is killing people's spending power. Rising interest rates are sending mortgage costs spiralling and destroying our savings. Brexit and the war in Ukraine are sending import costs soaring and our immigration system is more knackered than a migrant worker in Qatar. But do I, Danny Sutcliffe, piss and moan and suggest that maybe, just maybe, the root cause of all this might be a Tory party that's absolutely fucking spent... Do I attempt to blame our problems on those that have been in power for 12 years and whose embarrassing political demise is now plunging the nation into oblivion as they thrash out their final death throes? No, of course I don't, because I'm not a moaner, I'm a doer. Where others see tragedy and crisis, I see profit and opportunity. Which, funnily enough, is a lesson I've very much got from the shower of bastards currently in power. Everywhere I look, I see the potential for making money. Whether it's the commuters, stranded by a terrified government that's constantly sabotaging talks between the rail unions and network operators in a desperate attempt to make the trade unions public enemy number one, or the patients suffering under a total gridlock in A&E. Someone, somewhere, is always rife for exploitation by the private sector. And I intend to be the one doing the exploiting. Isn't that right, Gerald?
3: Danny, can we please just go to the hospital? I'm in quite a lot of pain. All in good time,
4: my valued customer. You see, dear listener... Gerald here isn't just a dear neighbour to me. As a homeowner in his 70s, he's also a fucking cash cow. And now that he's been a silly bollocks and falling over on his suspiciously icy driveway that definitely wasn't anything to do with me, it's time for the private sector to step in where the NHS can't.
3: Hang on a minute, you said you'd help me out because it was a neighbourly thing to
4: do. Well, there's your first mistake, Gerald. Never assume that the collapse of the NHS is accidental, as opposed to an entirely deliberate managed demise designed to push rich old fucks like you towards agreeing with privatisation. Now, are you going to stop moaning? Because the meat is running on the dambulance, you know.
3: This isn't an ambulance. It's a transit van with a bunk bed in it.
4: Too right, Gerald. It's a dambulance, that's why. Two patient beds for double profit and no paramedic in the back means three seats and space for extra passengers. That way, I can pick up some of the stranded fuckers at the train station on the way to AE. It's what we in the business world call synergy.
3: Oh, for God's sake, can we just go, please? I think I might have broken my leg.
4: Well, help yourself to the paracetamol in the bedpan, Gerald. They're a tenner of pop. Now... Will you be using our priority service this evening for platinum customers? What
3: the fuck are you talking about? It's
4: like Uber Eats, Gerald. I can either take you straight to the hospital for a premium and get you there all hot and fresh, or I can go round the houses and deliver you stone cold in a greasy box.
3: Well, I've only got a tenner on me.
4: Stone cold in a greasy box it is, then. Now... I'd say strap in, Gerald, but this new contractor of the NHS doesn't have any, so I'd just cling to that rusty bit of peeling panelling if I were you. Set the shots are an extra 50 on arrival, mind.
3: I think I've made a terrible mistake.
4: You and everyone else voting in every general election in the last 12 years, Gerald. Now be a love and try not to die over the next hour or so, will you? The paperwork's a fucking nightmare.
3: The next hour? We're ten minutes from the hospital. Oh, for fuck's sake, Gerald.
4: As I've already explained to you, as a bronze customer, we will be doing some airport runs from the station first. Why can't you just embrace the future and stop being such a woke militant Marxist?
3: Ow! Fucking hell, be careful.
4: I'm Danny Sutcliffe, and my new franchise is now open for new applicants. So get those emails coming in. Reporting for IT News.
3: Why is the back of the van filling not with smoke? What's going on?
2: Speaking of disgusting profiteering at the expense of the elderly and infirm, it's been another awkward week for Baroness Moan, who seems determined to make Keir Starmer's argument for abolishing the House of Lords for him. The PPE MedPro scandal continues to rumble on, with the Baroness this week announcing she would be stepping back from the house in order to clear her name, which would be a nobler gesture if she ever actually attended it, rather than simply accepting the money and abusing her position to aggressively enrich herself. It's a complicated scandal, so who better to break it down into patronising little chunks for us than our youth correspondent David Stanier.
5: Hey kids, it's me, your favourite enthusiastic newsboy, David Stania. I'm here to get down with the kids, and keep it real, like the based superfly peng waste man I absolutely am. I don't know what any of those words mean, but I heard them on TikTok, so they must be cool. And being cool is important, if you want to reach the youth of the nation and get them to be passionate about the news, which I do. I want to get you so passionate about the news that you start putting up sexy posters of it in your bedrooms when you become teenagers. Move over, BTS. All the cool kids have A3 pinups ups of Hugh Edwards now. I practice kissing on mine. Today we're talking about PPE, which sounds like a weird cross between having a piss and a mobile phone network. But it isn't. It stands for Personal Protective Equipment, which at the height of the pandemic meant things like gloves and aprons and medical masks and loads of other shit. Yeah, now, all the stuff you need if you don't want all your healthcare workers catching the brand new horrendously contagious disease they're suddenly fighting every single day. When coronavirus hit our shores, we needed an absolute buttload of PPE, and so did every other Tom, Dick and Fernando all over the world. Demand was higher than Snoop Dogg in an aeroplane, and supply was lower than all the handrails in Rishi Sunak's house. The NHS was crying out for more PPE, and the government was desperate to get it to them. And the way they decided to get it was by awarding billions of pounds worth of contracts to firms who were recommended by their mates. Mates like Baroness Moan, who I promise is a real conservative peer, and not just the stage name of a posh dominatrix whose card I found in a sticky phone box. This VIP lane for procurement contracts, according to the Tories, was a necessary evil for one good reason. At a time of national crisis, they say it was quicker than doing proper consultations and putting contracts out to competitive tender. But did it work? The short answer is yes. If you wanted to funnel tens of millions of pounds of taxpayer money into some very corrupt ermine pockets. The long answer, if you wanted it to actually source decent PPE that could have saved lives and provided value of money for the country, is fucking no. The Tories' dodgy procurement process led to hundreds of millions of pounds being wasted on subpar products that either didn't meet the required medical standards or simply weren't delivered at all. Poof! Spaff! Gone! All through companies that were more often than not hastily set up purely to profiteer from the crisis of the pandemic. It now looks like Baroness Moan, having apparently benefited from her association with PPE MedPro to the tune of nearly 30 million quid, has some serious questions to answer about her involvement with the company. It's an involvement that she has always denied, and failed to disclose publicly when she should have... We've now had several stories in the press about her aggressively lobbying ministers on behalf of companies she and her husband had shadowy financial ties to. Lobbying that she did through said minister's personal email addresses. Just another level of access that companies that could provide shit that actually worked didn't have. And here's the kicker. Rishi Sunak said he was shocked this week to hear about all these allegations. Shocked. He was shocked. But he was Chancellor at the time. It was our now Prime Minister that signed the cheques, but so far there's been virtually no accountability for the ridiculous levels of waste that he oversaw. And you know what that means, kids. When the people in charge of our money refuse to hold themselves to account, it falls to people like us instead. The youth of today, us cool dudes. Which definitely includes me, a man in his thirties with serious psychological problems, There are loads of dodgy Tory contacts, who made huge profits out of the pandemic with their dodgy PPE contracts. Ooh, that rhymed. Am I doing a drill? Never mind. There are loads of dodgy Tory contacts, and some of them are much easier to reach than Baroness Moan. For example, take this man in my crosshairs right now. He's got a brand new PPE company now, sourcing bulletproof vests for the military. Let's see if those are any better than the 2 million N95 masks he failed to deliver. Come on, kids, let's sing our goodbye song. Busy market, line up target. In your sights, nice and tight. Time for bullet dropping while he's Christmas shopping. Kill the rich, kill the rich. Ooh, look, they've got bratwurst. Well, would you look at that. Turns out his bulletproof vests are rubbish too. I hope you like the new VIP lane I made in your left lung, you greedy fuck. I'm David Daniel, and it's time to get out of here, and maybe grab a German sausage on the way, reporting for IC News.
2: Now, you might think that society grinding to a halt and unfettered corruption at the heart of our government might have been the biggest stories this week, but of course you'd be wrong, because Meghan Markle took the piss out of curtsying, and now Middle England is fucking livid. The release of the Sussexes Netflix documentary... Sussexes? Sussexi? I sound like Sylvester the Cat. Anyway, the release of Harry and Meghan's Netflix documentary has predictably enraged the right-wing press, despite its first three episodes being so tediously self-indulgent and free of scandalous revelation that they've had to scramble to actively manufacture some. It's just the latest development in the long-running row that the existence of a black royal has caused about the nature of systemic racism in British society. An issue that was made all the more awkward for the palace last week by Lady Susan Hussey, Prince William's godmother and one of the late Queen's oldest friends and confidants, who repeatedly asked a black charity boss at a Westminster function where she was from. Ngozi Falani says both she and the charity She Heads Up have been bombarded with online abuse since speaking up about the incident. Joining us in the studio today to discuss the impact of constant racial microaggressions, it's Che Burnley. Che, may I just say, your hair is looking really lovely and bouncy today and I really want to touch it. Get fucked! Aha, you see what I did there? I was using irony to highlight the problem.
1: Yes, yes. At the expense of making the black man feel uncomfortable, is this really the tone that you want to open this conversation with? Um, no, you're right, of course. Sorry. Thanks for dragging me into this a week late, by the way. It really does wonders for the stereotype. Well, I think you're very punctual, actually. You always have been. I'm going to punctual you in a minute.
2: Oh, um, not worried about the aggressive black man stereotype,
1: then? Oh, I'll punch you very calmly, Sam. But completely by accident, you have actually highlighted a decent point, which is that black people's reactions to the sort of constant low-level bullshit we endure day in, day out, often get far more criticism than the behaviour we're reacting to. Case in point, the abuse now being levelled at Miss Falani, who's done nothing but calmly point out that she was being treated disrespectfully and felt singled out.
2: I get that, and the abuse she's now getting is inexcusable.
1: But... Oh, God. Um... Are you all right, mate? You you look like you're about to cringe yourself inside out. Well,
3: I'm going to say a
1: bad thing. You could just not.
3: But
2: it's a point that some commentators have made. Not not one that I necessarily condone, but it might be worth discussing. Miss Fellani does...
1: Dress in a way that honours her cultural heritage. Wow. So now it's the woman's fault for how she dresses, is it?
2: I'll oh, see, I knew you were going to do that.
1: <laughs> uh, fucking hell, mate. Relax. I get the point, all right? You can stop wincing. Oh, I think I've got a hernia. But let's address that, shall we? It's a point that a few right-wing commentators have made, and on the surface, it appears like a reasonable argument. Tom Howard at GB News, for example, he said that if the question had been, what's your cultural heritage, and not where are you from, then we wouldn't be having this conversation about racism. Clearly, he thinks that's a massive gotcha. Okay.
2: It, isn't it?
1: No, it's not. But not necessarily because he's wrong. In fact, what he's saying is exactly the fucking point. And yet he still doesn't get it. Let's just put aside for a moment the fact that what's your cultural heritage is never a question white people get asked when they're being introduced to posh old ladies. Regardless of that, there is a world of difference between asking somebody that question and refusing to take that answer at face value when you aggressively demand to know where they're from. Because when Ngozi Fulani said she was British, which she absolutely fucking is, that wasn't a good enough answer for Susan Hussey. And the reason it wasn't good enough was because Lady Hussey couldn't get her head around the idea of a black woman in an interesting outfit defining herself as British.
2: So you agree with Miss Fellani's argument that what she experienced was aggressive and dehumanising
1: then, I take it? When you look at the context of the situation, yes, of course I do. For a start, Lady Hussey moved Miss Falani's hair away from her name badge, like she was inspecting a dog's arsehole at Cruft's. Most of us would consider it a bit more appropriate to just ask someone their name. And while there's nothing intrinsically wrong with asking someone where they're from, when they give you the answer they define themselves by, then that's your fucking answer. You don't just keep relentlessly probing until they've outlined their family tree in a way that validates your presumptions. Not just because it's rude but also because it's not the way Lady Hussy would have ever spoken to someone who did fit her preconceived notions of what a British person looks like. You can guarantee she didn't demand every white person in the room go four generations back while introducing themselves to her. Yes, in the grand scheme of things, it's pretty low-level stuff, but when that low-level stuff becomes constant and relentless, it compounds itself in a way that can make you feel like you're seen as an illegitimate guest in your own country. It's a massive structural power imbalance and that Miss Filani is now receiving abuse for calling it out So, as we've still got plenty of work to do on general racial equality. Let's not forget too that this was an event to honour and celebrate women like Miss Falani, who's done a load of brilliant work with victims of domestic violence. Victims of domestic violence who, funnily enough, constantly suffer under very similar sorts of power imbalances. Lady Hussey's behaviour was a massive blunder, and one that the palace recognised as such and felt it had to address pretty fucking quickly. And not least because this incident highlights the way that class feeds into subconscious racism, which is the point. <laughs> of...
2: oh, no. Have you seen this, Sam? Have you bloody
1: seen
0: this?
2: Sebastian, we're in the middle of a studio debate. Well, stop the
0: presses, dear boy. Whatever you're doing now, Hails in comparison to the outrage and shame that those accursed Sussexes have now brought upon our royal family. It's all over Netflix.
1: Well, this feels depressingly appropriate. <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: Do I know you?
1: Yes, Sebastian. We've met. Oh!
0: Oh. Were you any chance bedecked in leather at that basement
1: soiree at Stephen Barclay's house? No, I fucking wasn't. I assumed that there was some other large black man, but thank you for assuming that we all look alike.
0: No, it's not a race thing. (laughs) I just had a lot of Vaseline in
1: my eyes that night. I think I might leave, Sam. Yeah, I thought you might. Just for clarity's sake, though. This isn't the homophobic black man stereotype either.
2: Oh, no, don't worry, I'm white and bi and he creeps me the fuck out too. Right, good.
1: I'll catch you later.
2: ta ta Well, he was a
0: rather strapping specimen, wasn't he? (laughs) Where's he from?
2: Get out. Well, call me a black woman in the royal family because I'm now thoroughly uncomfortable and it's time to leave. Sebastian's unwelcome interruption brings us to the end of our broadcast. We'll be back, as always, the same time next week, but until then, we leave you now with the headlines you may have missed. The government announces plans to repeal many of the measures designed to curb the excesses of the banking sector following the 2008 financial crash, just in case you wanted to mark the point in your calendar that the seeds for the next enormous recession were planted. Matt Hancock becomes the latest Tory MP to announce he will step down at the next election. And at this point, honestly, it's just cute that they think they'll have a say in the matter. The School of Art Institute of Chicago revokes the honorary doctorate it gave to Kanye West in 2015, making getting rejected from art school the latest thing Kanye can sympathise with Hitler about. And finally, as he approves the UK's first new coking coal mine in decades, Michael Gove insists it's definitely not because he misheard coking when asked if he'd like a rock of it. You've been listening to IC News. Thank you and goodbye.
4: Hello again. It's me, Danny Sutcliffe. I'm here today with the right bargain for you. And no, it's not just the mystery me I've got in the back of my van. Although that is also primo stuff, so meet me behind our bins and flash your full beams if you're interested. If you haven't joined our Patreon yet, we've got a special offer for you. Sign up now as one of our early bird supporters and you can get access to all of our exclusive content for just £2 a month. If you want bonus podcast sketches, compilation episodes and ICU stories, this is the cheapest you're ever going to get them. You've got to be quick though. This deal is limited to the first 500 patrons and they'll get snapped up quick. It's the best way to show your support for the show and you'll be helping us to grow moving forwards. As always, thank you for all of your support and we hope you enjoy the show. And no, it's not badger me. And if Brian May tries to tell you otherwise, he's a
3: fucking liar.